Thank you, Charlotte. Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone. Uh, coming down to the end of summer here, uh, but we are coming into a brand new series. Although this series complements everything that we've talked about so far throughout this year from January until now. This is all one flow, one sort of uh, uh, seamless way to get from where we are or where we were to where we need to be. Uh, if you would turn to First Peter, First Peter chapter 1. I'm doing something a little bit different uh, than I normally do. This is a, an addition to my normal sermon calendar. I, I make a sermon calendar for the year. I always leave a month without anything uh, because those weeks are usually taken up very quickly uh, with other things and, and, and just kind of a shift in how we're, and, uh, how we're talking about things. And so I always leave a month free. Uh, however, a while back, something was brought to my attention. A subject was brought to my attention. And I went in and I filled this gap, filled this sermon calendar gap with, with this series. And it fits very well with everything that we've been talking about throughout the year and certainly what we are going through uh, in our lives fits very well with what Randy was talking about earlier, all kinds of things that we need to apply to our life. It was John. John said something about this. And I don't remember when exactly. Uh, but it was during a communion, our communion time, he got up here and he says, you know, we're crazy. <laughs> we're, we're crazy. We believe in a God we can't see. We believe that we are indwelt by a Holy Ghost that's not us, a different Holy Ghost. We believe that we should love our enemies. We believe that we should pray for those who persecute us. We believe all kinds of things, that we put others first instead of ourselves. He says, from the world's point of view, from those who do not know Jesus, this is, this is nuts. This is crazy. And I, I, I was listening to this, thinking about all of this, and I thought, you know, that reality is not going away. So we might as well embrace it. We might as well embrace the fact that people look at what you believe and say, you're crazy. Might as well embrace the fact that people look at what you believe, listen to what you believe, if you believe in Jesus, and they call you a fool. They say, you're insane. They say, you have a closed mind. The truth of Scripture is not going away. God's not going away. Jesus is already, already resurrected. And so we might as well embrace what the rest of the world sees as crazy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that you, you hear us, that you're there, that you're real. We thank you, Father, that we have come through these different places and times and ways in our life to be introduced to truth, introduced to the reality of what you are and who you are. Father, we ask that you help us to walk boldly in this life, that we come to peace with that, 
and that we accept the truth in our lives. Refuse to fight it. Stop fighting the truth in our lives. Father, open our hearts and our minds. Say, convict us. Convict our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to follow Jesus, we hear this from Scripture. We see this play out every day. If you want to follow Jesus, the majority of the world is not going to like you. They're not going to like what you follow. They're not going to like what you believe. They're not going to like what you stand for. Jesus demands an open mind. Jesus dem- We believe in somebody who was dead for three days and rose again. I don't know how much more open your mind can be. Jesus demands responsibility, accountability. Jesus demands putting others first and you second. Jesus demands that we submit to the perfection and will of God the Father, the Creator, and not our own. And that's at odds with everything else that Randy just read. It was true then, it's true today. But this is not catching Jesus off guard. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and this is all, you're in, you're in 1 Peter, this is on the front of your, uh, your bulletin. For the message of the cross, and that's the Scripture, that's the Bible. That's what the Bible's about. The Bible's about the message of the cross. You can go to Genesis, and you can see references to Jesus. And and, and that entire story through the Old Testament is talking about the coming Christ. Now, it's a narrative, and it's some books of history that we can learn from, some examples. But the whole thing is setting the stage for Jesus. And then the whole New Testament is, is talking about life after the resurrection of Christ. And so the cross, <clears throat> the message of the cross is the Bible. It's the Word of God. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Now, you can call it foolishness. You can call it different. You can call it unique. You can call it crazy. Maybe I shouldn't have used the word crazy. But it's just a title. And grab your attention. That's all that is. But it's foolishness to those who are perishing. Foolishness to those who deny who Jesus is. Foolishness who want to close their eyes and their minds to the truth, the realization, even the possibility that there is a creator God who loves you more than anything else. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to you, me, to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Power of God, the love of God. It is the faith of God. After all, God says in verse 19 of that, He says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And so if we're going to embrace, and I mean this, if we're going to just embrace this foolishness, right? I would say foolishness, but I'm going to get tired of using quotation fingers the whole whole time, all right? So I'm just going to say foolishness, you know what I'm talking about. If we're going to embrace this foolishness. We've got to start at the right place. And the right place is God telling those who believe in Jesus, I want you to be different than everybody else. I want you to be different. We don't like that word. We don't like that word different. I think some people just hate that word different because different usually means difficult, right? Different usually means that life is going to be a bit of a struggle. 
that we're no longer going to be able to blend in with the crowd. We're going to have to carry some responsibility. But God says, I want you to be different. Actually, what he says is, I want you to be holy. Here's my question. Are you holy? Are you holy? Would anybody be willing to answer that question? To stand up and say, yes, I am holy. Or would you, be, or would you say, no, I really don't think so. I, I, I'm not sure about that. Are you holy? And I hope that by the end of this series, you'll be able to answer that. You'll be able to say, yes. Yes, I am holy. And I mean holy for what it really means. I don't even know if we can ask the question. Can we ask the question, are you holy? Can we claim such a definition? Holy is what we are called. It is what we are commanded to be. And you're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all that you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. First Peter, Peter is quoting Leviticus there multiple times in Leviticus, God says that. So this, if this command applies to us, I think we ought to be able to answer it. I mean, if, 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 if you want to answer all kinds of questions if it's applied to you, we ought to be able to answer this one. <clears throat> so what does holy mean? Be holy, says God. Be holy, writes Peter. This suggests, if he says be holy, it suggests that you have some interaction here. That you have a choice or you have some action rather than just an assumption of being. All right? I'm holy because I exist. Well, that's not what God tells the Israelites. That's not what Peter's telling us here. He's telling you, be holy. He's not saying you accept the fact that you are holy. He says you be holy. It demands that we can choose to participate in this holiness. Or we can choose to not participate in this holiness. Human beings are incredible creations. Everyone, every human being you ever come across, from the saint to the scoundrel, is an incredible, amazing creation. But that in and of itself does not make us holy. So what exactly does holy mean? In Leviticus, and you don't have to turn here. You, we're going to stay in 1 Peter. But in Leviticus, uh, this is what Peter is, is, is quoting here. God tells the Israelite nation to be holy. He was instructing them to be different than everyone around them. <clears throat> to be distinct. To be unique. To Make a deliberate attempt to be different than the world, the people, the kingdoms around them. He gave them special regulations to govern their lives. Jesus gives us special regulations to govern our lives. We're going to go through these things during this series. First thing is we're going to get to next week is probably the craziest one. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, I tell you what, if you're evangelizing, start with that one, right? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. And, and these special regulations, these were adherence to the law, adherence to this belief in the one true God. Israel was chosen to usher in the coming Christ. That was their job. 
And why was that their job? Because of Abraham. Because God and Abraham were friends. You don't have to make it any more complicated than that. God and Abraham were friends. God said, all right, Abe, I'm picking you to usher in Jesus. That was their job. But it was also to show the love and faithfulness of God throughout the ages. Same thing you and I get to do. To be separate, be unique, be distinct, to show the love and faithfulness of God to that people. That was their job. That's our job. As such, God set them apart to make them different from all other people groups. It's because of this uniqueness, it's because of this distinction and this message that they were living out before the nations that they were given these special standards to live by. And why? So that the rest of the world would know that they belong to the one true God. It's one of the problems we run into, church. It's one of the things I just can't hardly stand. We go out of our way sometimes to make the church like everybody else, perhaps even with the best of intentions. Oh, we want to we meet people where they are, right? Or, 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 or we want to we wanna make it appetizing to them. Or, or they got so much going on in their life and they're so interested in all of these other things. Why don't we become like these other things? Maybe they'll be interested in us. And we change and we move and we think the way forward is to become like everyone else. Granted, with the best of intentions. But at no point throughout the history of the Christian life, at no point throughout the history of Israel, does God ever say, be like everyone else in order to make an impact in their life. Never does He say that. Never. He doesn't say that to the church. He doesn't say that to you as an individual. He doesn't say that to your family. He says, be different from everybody else if you want to make an impact in people's lives. God wanted the world to know that the Israelites belonged to him. When Peter repeats these words in 1 Peter, he is talking specifically now to believers in Jesus Christ. All believers in Jesus need to be set apart. They need to be holy. And I guarantee, I promise you, church, if you don't embrace the command, the desire, the want, the beautiful thing of being holy, you're never going to be able to embrace the crazy things that Jesus wants you to do. Being holy needs to be our definition. It needs to be how we see ourselves. It needs to be what we pursue. And please don't listen to the trash that's out there. Would you, would you please stop listening to the trash that's out there? These snide, snippy remarks of holier than thou. You know what? I, we get so distracted by lies, and we begin to believe this stuff, and we don't even want to say about ourselves, yes, I am holy because I'm following the Word of God. We get a little sheepish, don't we? We almost think it's an insult to others to say that we are holy. We are set apart, that we're special. We need to be set apart from the world. Now, look, this does not mean abstaining from interaction with the world. God never says that. At no point in the Christian walk are we supposed to lock ourselves behind, you know, doors, but, you know, put ourselves into some monastery, right, and, and, and refuse to interact with anything else around us. 
how in the world would the gospel ever be spread? That'd be, a, that'd be a, an eternal kingdom of one if you did that. I got news for you. I can't imagine spending eternity with just me. We don't cease to interact. It means that we need to be living by God's standards and not the standard of a fallen world. The exact translation, by the way, of holy is sacred. Sacred. You have an invitation to be sacred. I don't know why anybody would want to turn that down. I want to be sacred, special, unique in all of this world. So this series is entitled uh, Embrace the Crazy or That's Crazy, whatever way you want to say. Not that God's standards are crazy, quite the opposite. God's standards are perfect. And they lead to perfection if we were ever to carry them out perfectly. It's because, though, of this perfection of God, because of this uniqueness, because His standards are God and others focused rather than self-focused, it's because it's based upon faith and not proof that all of these things seem crazy to an unholy world. And again, that's what Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. One of the reasons it's hard for us, we've already talked about this, I just want to drive home this point. You need to to look at your own life now. You You need to reflect upon your own heart, your own mind, your own desires, your own challenges in your life. One of the reasons it's hard for us to pursue holiness is because we have one foot in and one foot out. We've got one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of this world. And we're trying to please and appease in our own minds both kingdoms. And I'm not saying we have one foot in and one foot out of our belief in Jesus. But we've got one foot in and one foot out when it comes to our submission and direction of the Word of God, which is our example of holiness. You never want to be one foot. By the way, the one foot in one foot out, that's the, that's the, that's the person Jesus talked about in Revelation when he says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. That's what that is. Don't be that person. You never want to walk down the middle of the road, right? What happens? You get hit by cars going both ways, right? That's what happens. One foot in and one foot out of different kingdoms. God says this, but it's not easy. God says that, but it's not convenient. God says this, but it's not popular. God says that, but I don't take time to understand it. Something you, ought to, something you ought to write down. Put it on your refrigerator so you can look at it every morning. God is not interested in people who believe in Him. So if you think God's interested in you because you believe in Him, you're wrong. God is interested in people who believe Him. Satan believes in God. God is interested in people who believe Him. That's the difference between having one foot in and one foot out or both feet firmly planted in the kingdom of God. That's what it takes to embrace what everyone around you is going to tell you is nuts. 
crazy. What do you, why, what do you mean? This person just took advantage of you. Why are you being nice to them? Why are you forgiving them? Why are you continuing to pray for them? What, are you crazy? <laughs> Apparently. Because I've got both feet in the kingdom of God. God cares about people who believe Him, church. Where does all this leave us if we're one foot in, one foot out? Well, Paul tells us that in Ephesians 4. He says, So Christ Himself gave apostles, gave to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip His people for works of service that the, Christ of, the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in our faith and our trust in Jesus, our, not just our belief in Him, but believing Jesus and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. By the way, you could take that mature and you could put that in for Peter's holy if you wanted to, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Look at what Paul says when we're back and forth. One foot in, one foot out. We refuse to embrace the crazy. Look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants. He says when you're one foot in and one foot out, when you don't embrace this holy lifestyle of Jesus, what's Paul calling you? A child. He's calling us infants. I've got infant moments throughout my life all the time. Baby moments. That's what they're called. We're like infants. In fact, he says, tossed back and forth on the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. This tossed back and forth, are you wrestling with it? This tossed back and forth, church, is the war that rages in your mind or your heart, that's been raging in your mind or your heart. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it's been the last 20 years. Because we don't say, look, I'm just going to embrace this new way of life. I'm going to embrace God's command. I'm not asking a favor from God. I'm obeying His command to be holy. Otherwise, we won't have this war, this battle in the mind. We hold on too tight to two different worlds, two different lands. We try to serve two kingdoms. Holiness is about serving one kingdom and the only one that will last. It's a pretty common story, right? That Cortez, you know, gets to Mexico, turns around, burns his ships. Now, he's not exactly a role model, okay, if you go through his life. But that's the same kind of idea when it comes to accepting Jesus and accepting this command to be holy, this command to be different, this command to live in the kingdom of God. Turn around, burn the ships. We're not going back. We're not going back to this kingdom that will one day fail. When the Israelites went back to Canaan, they hadn't been there for 430 years. All the other kingdoms had taken over. They were foreigners in a foreign land, and God wanted them to be and act distinct from the unholy living there. 1 Peter 1, we read 15, 16, look at 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners. Sit in your world, church. Stop acting like it is. Sit in your land. Stop acting like it is. You live here in reverent fear. He says this again in chapter 2, 11 through 12. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles... 
to abstain from sinful desire. Peter is not writing to a group of people who were displaced on this earth to another country. He's writing to the Christian population that is living on a foreign earth, a foreign world. That's what it takes to embrace the crazy. That's what it takes to be holy, to realize, for lack of a better way to put it, you're just passing through. I'm just passing through. Peter says, live as foreigners. Live as exiles. Live as people who are not going to be here, don't have ownership here. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, which they will, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits it. Look, there are many foreigners all over the world in different lands that are not considered their home. And often the advice is learn the ways and customs of this new foreign land in order to prosper and communicate and all kinds of things. And that's pretty good advice. That's great advice. That's one of the reasons a lot of foreign missions fail, because they don't integrate themselves into that particular culture in which they're ministering and working. But when it comes to the Christian in this foreign world, the exact opposite is true. Do not embrace the way the world acts. Don't embrace the way the world thinks. Don't embrace the, the things that the world sees as important. Don't embrace what the world sees as wise. Embrace what they see as different or even crazy because that's where holiness is found. So how is this done? That's the what. That's, that's, that's holiness. How is this done? Well, this is a choice. Remember, this is what Peter's saying. Be holy. This is what God's saying. Be holy. Not you're magically holy. Be holy. Participate in holiness. This is a choice we get to make about holiness, and we're going to see many different examples of how this is lived out as we go through this series, how this is achieved as we go through the Christian walk. But Peter already gives us the broad strokes here of how we see ourselves and live out this holiness. He says, live out your time, you don't have to go back, but live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, in reverent fear. I almost get tired of harping about it because I hear it in the words. I hear it in the conversations. I see it in the actions. You don't think I see it in the actions? Too often we lose reverence for who God is. We don't revere God anymore. Who's that? What's he going to do? Peter says, you want to be holy, you better live your life in reverent fear. You know, I I like uh, this particular way, I think, style, in which our body does Sunday morning service. I I, I think that's, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm used to, I, I don't know. But one of the things that I enjoy doing, I don't get the chance to do it very often anymore, is to go to other churches, you know, and see other churches, how they do things. I, I just love that. Dad, I remember a couple of times my dad and I went to different churches. And it just, I, I have those pictures. It's just neat. And, and you, you, you begin to see and hear, you've even heard this terminology, at least I heard, this common church and high church or low church and high church, okay? Um, you know, the, and the high church is, is this, you know, big to-do, right, every Sunday morning. And the, and the liturgy, liturgy is being, you know, spoken and, and all of this stuff, you know. 
I got to tell you, I love that. I love that. You have all the pomp and the circumstance, right, of the whole service. I love going and seeing that. You know, we just got done participating in the Lord's Supper. You know, we, we do that every week. Some churches do that once a month. Some churches do that once a quarter throughout the year. I love that. I love that. You know why? You know why I like those two different scenes as well as the way we do it here? Because every time they do this in this way, they're trying to drive home the point that this is something special. This is something unique. This is something different. You want to come here on Sunday morning and worship God as a family of God, the body of Christ. Boy, this is something really special. And because of it, they've got all the pomp and circumstance. I don't know if I'd want to do that every time, every day. But when I get the chance to see it and visit, I absolutely love it. Same way with that buildup to this participation in the body and blood of Christ. And how every time they do it, it's just, it's a, it's a big deal, buddy. You better call your friends, family, neighbors, because we're having communion today. We lose our reverence sometimes. And not just in those two examples. I'm, not, I'm just using those as examples. We lose our fear when we lose our reverence. Here's the problem. Sometimes we can become so familiar with something that we lose it. As Christians, we get so comfortable hearing the Word of God that we don't listen to it. That's what happened to many of these disciples. What happened to James and John? wanting to ask Christ about being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Sit on your right, sit on your left. They were just so used to hearing Jesus talk that they they stopped listening. And they lost their reverence. They lost their fear. Matthew 13, they took offense at him, but Jesus said a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he didn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. How is it done? How do we know that we can embrace the holiness of Jesus Christ? It starts with reverent fear for who God is. And remember, this fear is not to incite terror. It's to revere what and who Jesus is and, by necessary extension, what He says. He is good and He loves His kids. Church, go back a little bit in 13 and 14. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So that's, that's the what. And a little bit of the how, now the why. Skip down to 18 and 19. Why is He? What, what's the why? He, he says, be holy. Why do you want to do this? 18 and 19, for you know, you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from an empty way of life, an empty future, a dead future. This empty way of life that was handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. You didn't buy this. What's he telling Guys, you know you didn't earn this. You're saved for all time. The eternal kingdom of God, and this is what Peter's telling these Christians, you know you didn't buy this. You didn't build it. You didn't earn it. There isn't anything you can do. Jesus did all of it. And so because of that gift, he wants you to live as unique and different. 
And so the question, then we ask the question, are you holy? The question, are you saved? Are you saved? And this is one you better be able to answer one way or the other before it's too late. Are you saved? Because we know it's nothing we can do. It's nothing we can build. It's nothing we can make. It's nothing we can earn. So we've still got to be able to answer the question, are you saved? Put it this way, are you going to heaven or hell? Is everybody going to heaven or hell? Let me ask you that, seriously. I, I want some audience participation, that question. Is everybody going to heaven? Hmm? No? No? Definitely not. Why you? And I'll tell you what, if you say it's because you're a good person, we're going back to the beginning of January, and we're going to go through this whole series all over again. Because of what Jesus did for you. And because of that, he wants you to be special. He wants you to be distinct from everything around you. He has every right to do that. You know what redeemed is? He bought you. He bought you. And he wants to put you up on this special place to be different from everything else. Your salvation is not some spur-of-the-moment thing being driven by a temporary passion or some feeble human attempt. 20 and 21, he was chosen. Jesus was chosen before creation to do this for you, before the creation of the world. But he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through Jesus, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith is also in God. He was revealed in these last times for your sake. When we read for your sake, we think salvation. And that's not wrong, but that's only part of the picture. The holiness is the other part of the picture. If we think it's just salvation, we're missing all of the wonderful things that God can and wants to do in our lives. If we think salvation is the point, we're always going to be wrestling with embracing the crazy. We're always going to be wrestling with this pursuit of holiness because we think salvation's the end game. Whatever I need to do to get salvation, then forget the rest. No, there is so much more than salvation, and Peter ought to know. Look at chapter 2, 4 through 6. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, forget about the salvation part, you also, like living stones, are being built into a temple for the Holy Spirit. That's what it takes. Embracing the crazy is you being built up, constructed into this beautiful temple for the Holy Spirit. It's more than salvation. It's a complete change of what and who you are. And you're not going to change completely from what and who you are into this incredible structure if you don't embrace what the world sees as crazy. If you want to just continue to do it the old way, the easy way, right? I mean, that's the truth. We're not talking about the old way. We're talking about the easy way. You want to continue to do it the easy way. The hard way means that you're going to be built, rebuilt, constructed into a house for the Holy Spirit to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Once again, why does this seem crazy to everyone else? 1 Peter 2, 7 through 8. Now to you who believe this stone is precious. Jesus is precious. But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble 
and a rock that makes them fall. Even from the very beginning of the church, Peter knew, God knew, that those who did not embrace Jesus were going to see this Christian life, this Christian walk. It's crazy. 9 and 10, but you are a chosen people. Who's he writing to? He's writing to you. I don't know if you want to accept that. I'll accept it. He's writing to me. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God, look at the next line. This, that's what you are, God's special possession. That's your life. At least that's what you're offered. If we embrace holiness, embrace the crazy. And the Israelites had a job, right? To declare the love and faithfulness of God to the world. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. That's the job. That's the mission. And I guarantee you, if you mold in and move in and merge in and blend in with the rest of the world, they are never going to get that message. Once you were not a people. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Something that, again, I think something you ought to come to grips with when it comes to embracing the crazy. We'll see examples of this craziness as we go through the series. Um, something Tony Evans said. I agree with it. You as Christians, as believers in Christ, do not at all have home field advantage. Okay? There might have been a time. You've lost it. You do not have, we do not have home field advantage. One of the things you need to know is you've got to quit acting as though we do. we got to quit acting as though it's expected. You are not the home team. You're the visiting team. Go to any football game, and I guarantee you when the visiting team tries to score, they're going to get booed, all right? That's just the way it goes. This is not your home. Therefore, it's impossible for you to have the home field advantage. What Satan called the prince of this world. The prince of this world. You've got to embrace the fact that you don't have home field advantage. You're never going to have home field advantage from here on out. And so you might as well embrace being the foreigner. You might as well embrace the weird and crazy, foolish things of this world and of this life. Because this is not going away. And the hatred of Jesus isn't going away either. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, but guys, it can be incredibly freeing to finally get to that place where you say, look, I'm both feet in this new land. I'm both feet in this new kingdom, and it's going to be rough, but it's going to be right. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you've given us. We thank you that you do challenge us. We thank you that you have this perfect and wonderful standard for us, Father.